Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. I will be the first to admit that I'm not a very observant person. In fact, there's been many times we've been riding down the road and I'll say something like, where in the world did that building come from? And Haley will say, they've been, they've been building that for months and months. Occasionally, she'll ask me, do you notice anything different? And that's when I go, oh no. <laughs> there's a lot of possibilities here. It could be something she's done different to her hair. It could be a new piece of furniture redecorated a room, repainted an entire room. And then in that moment, I'm going, how long have I gone without noticing? And usually it's a pretty long time before I actually notice because I'm just really not that observant. And I'm thankful that Jesus is a lot more observant than I am. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to join me in John chapter 9. We'll have the slides up here in just a moment. In John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. This is a really ironic statement if you think about it. Jesus saw a man who couldn't see. Could you imagine being born blind? Could you imagine what your experience of this world would be like if you did not have the ability to see? Your image of the world would be painted by somebody who patiently describes things to you. But think about how difficult that must be. You can't even understand the concept of color, so how would they actually describe some of these things to you? You'd be able to feel in certain capacities what something was like, maybe smell and hear, but as far as picturing something in your mind, it would be, in, it would be so incredibly difficult. But think about how many people never saw this man. He couldn't see them, but to a large capacity, they couldn't see him. A lot of times they just passed by him all the time and nobody really noticed him. But thankfully, that's not the way that Jesus operates because Jesus saw this man. And that's got to be one of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible, whether you've realized it or not, that Jesus saw this man. Because it's a reminder that Jesus sees you and I. My guess is there's one or two or a few who are here today who you kind of feel overlooked Sort of like life is blowing by and you don't really feel noticed. Jesus sees you. Well, it goes on to say that his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? So when people actually did see him, they saw him as somebody who had something wrong with him or they saw him as a person who was a consequence of something done wrong. This was actually a really common viewpoint during that time. If there was something wrong with you, somebody did something wrong. If you were born with something wrong with you, then it's a consequence for your parents or your grandparents. If something happened to you later on in life, then it was a consequence of something that you did. If you ever read through the book of Job, you'll see this on repeat. Job's like, I haven't done anything wrong, and everybody in his life thinks he has done something wrong. They just viewed this as a consequence, and Jesus kind of busts that myth. He says, no, 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 Nobody did anything wrong. It wasn't him. It wasn't his parents. He's actually blind for the glory of God. He was selected to suffer. How would you feel about that? 
How would you feel about being selected to suffer for the glory of God? How would you feel about being chosen to be blind so that God could show His glory through you? I'll just be honest with you. That'd be a really tough pill to swallow. Well, the story goes on that Jesus then, having said these things, spits in the ground, makes mud with the saliva, anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So he went and washed, and he came back saying, can you imagine a few years later, maybe this guy's having a conversation with some people, and they say, hey, tell us about how you were healed. What was it like? Tell us everything that happened. And maybe he said something like, you know, it was really silent. And you know that sound that people make when they're trying to get something out of the back of their throat? Or do you know the sound that somebody makes when they're trying to really hawk up a really big loogie? It's what it sounded like. And then the next thing I know, there's this warm, wet, gritty substance being painted onto my eyes. You know, we like to think about Jesus, you know, feeding the crowd of thousands. We like to think about Jesus walking on water We even like to think about Jesus hanging on a cross, but how do you like the image of Jesus spitting? Because it's the image that John paints for us. And it was a profound moment. And so this man with this spitty mud substance over his eyes is led through town to this pool and he splashes water onto his face. And in that moment, it's like Genesis 1 playing out in his life where darkness or where light breaks through the darkness, and it pierces into his eyes, and for the first time ever, he can see. You could just imagine the amount of emotion that overtakes him. He can now see the one thing he had longed for, all the things he could never do in life because he couldn't see. Now he can. And not only see, but now he can see clearly. And you can just imagine he's overwhelmed with emotion, and maybe the person that's there with him is like, are are those tears that are rolling down your face? And maybe responds, no, it's not. Some, Some of you. And what we would expect from this community is celebration. That's not what happened. In fact, they just break out into an argument. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some were like, yeah, yeah, that's him. And others were like, no, no, I don't think it's him. He looks a lot like him, but I don't think it's him. And I love this line. But the man kept saying, I am the man. I don't know that he said it like that, but he's like, it is me. It's me. I promise it's me. I mean, it looks just like him, but nobody wants to believe him. They even go so far as to call his parents over and his parents come up. And you got to imagine this takes place over a course of time. And the Pharisees call his parents. They come in and they're like, is this your son? Yep. Yep, that's our son. That's the kid we gave birth to. He's now a grown man. What happened to him? Well, we don't know. He was blind. Now he sees. You ask him. He's of age. Ask him his story. And then John tells us this really interesting detail. They will not share anything else because they're afraid. The Pharisees had already decided and told everybody in this community, if you confess belief in Christ, we're going to kick you out. We're going to excommunicate you. We're going to kick you out of the synagogue. And while that may not sound like a big deal, it really is. Could you imagine losing all of your friends? Could you imagine losing all of your community? Nobody talks to you anymore. You're shunned. Could you imagine losing your religion? All of that, gone. All because you said, yes, that's my son. And yes, he was healed the way he said he was. And so they won't even stand up for their kid. 
And so what happens to the man? He can now see, but nobody sees him. Nobody still sees him even though he's healed. When his neighbors see him, they see a novelty. Isn't that really neat? He was blind, now he can see. When, his, when the Pharisees see him, they see a technicality. There's no way this man was healed because it's the Sabbath day. When his parents see him, they just see a difficulty. No, we can't, we can't stand up for him because we're going to get kicked out. Out of all of this, he still can't see. And what should have been the best day of his life actually becomes the worst day of his life because you know what winds up happening to the blind man? He gets kicked out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, so what do the religious leaders do? Rather than celebrating a healing that has taken place, they just kick him out of the synagogue. They won't kick his parents out. They won't kick anybody else out. They kick out the one whom God had healed. This is where we can see the evilness that can come from religion. They kick him out. And he experiences not only blindness for the majority of his life, now isolation, where he probably already felt far from God. Now he's been literally removed, even though God has never been nearer to him. And so it says in verse 35, Jesus found him again. He comes back and he finds him and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a really interesting question. Think about all this man has experienced on this day and over this course of time. He's been healed. Nobody believes him. His own parents won't even stand up for him. He gets kicked out of his community and synagogue where he thinks now he can be a whole member of society. Now he doesn't even have a society to connect with anymore. And the first thing Jesus asked him is, do you believe in the Son of Man? I am. I thank God for his response. If it's, if it's me, I think I probably answer, I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know what I believe then. I definitely don't know what to believe now. But this man is confessing boldly his belief in Jesus. And he said, Lord, I do believe. And then he worshiped Jesus. Wow, what a profound story. And the story of this man, of what Jesus did for him with healing his vision, and not only healing him of his vision, but changing his story and giving him a new future. It's the same thing that Jesus wants to do for you and I. I love what Max Lucado said when he was writing about this story. He said what Jesus did physically for the blind beggar, he desires to do for you and I spiritually, to restore our sight. That's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. What he did for this man is what he wants to do for you and I. He wants us to be found, cured, and matured. Let's dive into each of those. The first one is Jesus wants us to be found. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three different parables that Luke records for us that are all around the same concept of being found. The first parable is about a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Now, think about it this way. If you were to score a 99 in every class you ever took in school, that'd be a very successful academic career, am I right? If you're in sales and you were to close 99% of the deals you had uh, sought after, you would be one of the most successful salespeople on all the planet. If you're a professional athlete and you succeeded 99% of the time, you completed 99% of your passes, you hit the ball 99% of the time, you scored on 99% of your shots, you would be the most successful athlete to ever walk the planet. As a shepherd, to hold on to 99% of your sheep has got to be one of the all-time highs because of how incredibly difficult sheep can actually be. But that's not where this shepherd is willing to stop. So he takes the 99, he places them together, and then he goes searching 
for the one. And he searches and searches. And when he finds the lost sheep, he places it on its shoulder. He carries the lost sheep back to the safety of the fold, calls all his friends and family together, throws a party and celebrates. And he says, what was lost has been found. The next parable Jesus tells, there's a woman, she's got 10 coins. She loses one of them in the middle of the night. She lights all the lamps. She sweeps her house. You can imagine she just kind of tears her house apart and searches and searches. Finally founds the, the one lost coin, calls all of her friends and family, brings them all over and they throw a party and she celebrates because what was lost had been found. The third parable is about a father. He's got two boys. The youngest son comes to his father, demands his inheritance, walks out the door and leaves, travels far from home. It doesn't take him long. He wastes everything that he had inherited on wild living. Finds himself in a really difficult situation. He has no money, he has no friends, he has no place to live, and he has no food to eat. And he thinks of home. He says, maybe I can just go back and be a servant in my father's house. They at least have something to eat and a roof over their head. Starts journeying back home, has no idea what to expect. In Jesus' parable, he says, when he's still a long way off, the father looks up and he sees him. The father runs to greet him. Probably everybody hearing the parable thinks, oh yeah, the father's going to run and catch him before he can even get inside the gate. He's going to chew him up one side and down the other. He's going to tell him, leave, you wasted it all, you walked away from me, don't ever come back here again. But that's not what happened. When the father runs to him, he greets him, he throws his arms around him, he embraces him, he kisses him on the cheek, and he, he experiences this overwhelming sense of emotion. He hollers back to the servants, go get the fatted calf kill it and let's have a party. Invite everybody over because this son of mine was dead. He is alive again. He was lost and he has been found. And it's three of the most profound stories in all of the Bible, all pointing to this one common truth that God never stops pursuing us. Think about it this way. How do you feel when you find something that you've lost? Maybe it's your keys. You're trying to run out the door and you can't find your keys and everybody's running frantically. You're throwing up the couch cushions. You have no idea where they're at. You finally find them and you just experience this sense of joy and relief. Or maybe it's a lost family heirloom. It's a keepsake. It's something that was really important that's been passed down from generation to generation or a lot of sentimental value, something that somebody gave you that you never wanted to lose and now you can't find it. You tear the whole house up. You finally find it. You're overwhelmed with, with a sense of emotion over what has been lost that's been found. And that doesn't compare to if you've ever lost your child, the sense of relief and joy and overwhelming emotion you experience when you find your child who has been lost. And that's just a taste of what God experiences when His lost children come home. Can you imagine your, ch your child walking out the door, knowing where their head is going to lead them to destruction, pain, and being lost, and you just let them go? It's what God does every time every one of us walked out the door. Because God allows us to choose. We can choose Him, or we can choose our own way. And every one of us, if we're honest, has chosen our own way. We've all walked out the door. And it's led us to pain and destruction and everything God said it would. Say, I told you so. Or he doesn't say, what were you thinking? He embraces us. And he receives us. And he experiences an overwhelming sense of joy and emotion 
because His children who were dead are now alive again, who have been lost, have now been found. It's exactly what God wants to do for each one of us. He wants us to be found. Not only found, He wants us to be cured. The blind man makes this amazing statement in John 9.25. He says, I was blind, but now I see. I don't know if you know this. I hope you know this. Every car has a blind spot. If you're a driver, you need to know this. Every car has a blind spot. If you don't, you're probably the reason why so many other people get in wrecks and get run off the road. So in case you don't know this, at every car right behind the driver door on both sides to really kind of the back end of the car, there's what's called a blind spot. It means you can't see what's there. Maybe you've ever been driving and you throw on your blinker and you checked your mirror and you thought it was clear and you start merging over. Next thing you know, somebody's laying on their horn. You jerk back over. They speed up. They get right beside you. They're throwing their hands up. They're yelling at you through your window. You throw your hands up. You're like, I'm so sorry. And at which time your car immediately jerks back over. You almost hit them again. You jerk it back over. Then they just speed off and they're raging and hands are thrown up. And you're like, I am so sorry. I had no idea they were there. They were in your blind spot. Newer cars have these little lights on them and they light up to let you know somebody's in your blind spot. And when you turn on your blinker, it like flashes at you. And some of them, some of these newer cars won't even let you turn. They like fight against you. It's like you're not even in control of your car anymore and you're trying to merge and it pushes you back. And if you're like me and you're kind of autonomous, you're like, I will do what I want to do, car. And you kind of like force your way over. Don't, don't drive for me. I can do it myself, right? And so it's just this reminder that there's something in my blind spot. And if we're only in a car, that's one thing. What many times we forget is in our life, we all have a blind spot. There's some things in our life that we just simply can't see because we're blind to it. Our enemy is really good at placing things in our blind spot. The Bible calls him by the name Satan, the devil, the accuser, the slanderer. He is really good at placing things in our blind spot, little temptations that we really think were a big deal. And the next thing we know, it's developed into some type of full-blown sin. And we go, how in the world did that get there? Where did that come from? It's because it was in the blind spot. Or maybe it's something like you've been spending a lot of time kind of reading through your Bible and you're growing in your knowledge. But like Paul said, is a possibility. Knowledge can kind of puff you up a little bit. You start to kind of think like, look how cool and awesome I am and I know so much and it leads to self-righteousness where you begin to find yourself trusting in your own knowledge and in your own rightness and you think you got it all figured out and it's just self-righteousness but you're not aware of it because it's self-righteousness that's in your blind spot. It's the enemy using what is good to work against you and yes, he's really good at doing that. Maybe it's through like busyness. All of a sudden you're just kind of rolling from one thing to the next. It's like one item on the calendar to the next and you don't really have time to slow down and think about everything that's happening in your life everything that's going on in your heart. And all of a sudden, there's all these emotions that you begin to experience, all of these unholy thoughts and things that you know shouldn't be there. And it just kind of came out of nowhere. And you're like, where did that come from? It's because I haven't had time to really slow down and really pay attention to what's going on. Maybe it's a situation where somebody just did something wrong to you. They really offended you. You didn't really deal with it. You just kind of put it behind you. And when you put it behind you, you thought you left it behind. But the enemy was really good at putting it behind you and kind of keeping it right behind you, like right in that blind spot. And the next thing you know, you see them in public or they kind of cross your mind or you see them post on Facebook and all of a sudden there's this emotion of like anger, and rage. It's what the Bible describes as bitterness. And it's developed in your heart over that person. 
You have no idea where that came from. It was just frustration and hurt that led to something far greater that you thought you had moved past. But it was just right here the whole time, right behind you. It's being carried along and you couldn't see. It's why it's so important that every one of us has a person or a community of people that we give permission for them to speak truth in our life, where even though we might instantly get offended a little bit, we truly listen to them because we know they have our best interests at heart. I hope you have somebody in your life who you've given the permission to speak truth to you. Because if not, what you'll find is that there are things in your blind spot that you can't see that everybody else can, but nobody has the the permission from you to say something. And so they're kind of on edge and they're wondering, can they not see that? It's so obvious. No, they can't. You can. It's in your blind spot. There are many things for me that I can't see because they're in my blind spot. Here's what I've learned over the last several years. It's really hard to be fully self-aware. There are things about me that I don't fully realize that you probably realize and you go, can he see that? Can he know that? No, I can't. It's in my blind spot. I'm not fully aware of it. Now, I'm not saying that I want you to come point out every flaw in my life. I haven't given all of you that permission. Just hold on and slow down, right? But we all have to give somebody permission in our life to say, hey, I love you and I need to say this to you and I need need to know whether or not you give me permission to speak truthfully. Yeah, I do. Okay. Do you see this? What? Really? Yeah. Is it that bad? Yeah. How long? Uh, (laughs) A while. Wow. Wow. That's a signal to to spend time in prayer. What Galatians 5 and Romans 8 talk about, surrendering that to God's Spirit, to give the Holy Spirit full access into your life and heart. Say, Spirit, I need you to unroot that and weed it out and remove it. Give me the courage to see it. You can't find a cure for it until you finally see it. It's hard to see if you're blind to it. That's what Jesus wants to cure you of. So for the blind man and for you and I, he's found, he's cured, and what Jesus wants to do for all of us is for us to be matured. I read this story about a man named John Newton. John Newton, in his early years, worked on a ship that patrolled the coast of Africa. They would hop off the ship and they would kidnap human beings. And they would take them back, force them into slavery, and sell them for profit. On one trip in particular, they encountered a really difficult storm. It was such a bad storm that water came overboard and it swept several of their crewmates into the ocean and they died. The others who were left on board were fearful that they were going to die that day as well. And John Newton in that moment has this realization of what he was actually doing. And from then on began a journey of giving his life to Jesus. It was a moment that profoundly impacted him. Years later, he would be thinking about this moment in his life and thinking about all the years that he did such horrific things, and he would sit down and pen a pretty amazing song. In fact, a song that we just sang a few moments ago where he wrote, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Every one of us For every one of us, Jesus wants us to have a before and after moment. You know, we're living in the year 2022 A.D. That A.D. stands for Anno Domini. It's a Latin phrase that means in the year of our Lord. If you trace it back 
20, 22 years, you get to the year zero. Before that, you get to the years that are known as BC or before Christ. And for every one of us that have given our lives to Jesus, we have a similar story. We have a BC moment in our life, a before Christ, and then we have an AD moment. We're living in the year of our Lord, in the presence of our Lord going forward. We all have this moment. It's the event that the Bible describes where we experience salvation and we give our lives to Jesus and we're baptized into Christ. And that becomes this marker in our life where everything before was before Christ and everything after we're living in the year of our Lord and in the presence of Christ. And that's a story that Jesus wants to give for every one of us. And we all have this story. My story is not nearly as impactful and profound as John Newton. I grew up going to church my whole life. I tried to do the right thing, but there were times that I find myself very rebellious, kind of doing my own thing. There are plenty of things in my past that I did that I'm not proud of. I wasn't a kidnapper. I never got involved in human trafficking. I didn't have any kind of serious drug addiction or anything like that. And there've been times that I've wondered, can God use my story? Yes. He can, because of all those who have grown up like me, who thought they were doing right, who couldn't see how dark their sin actually was. Yes, God can use my story, and God can use your story. And let me tell you, if God can save a human trafficker, if what the Apostle Paul would write, God can save a blasphemer and a persecutor and a person who actually consented to other Christians being put to death, if God can save those kinds of people, God can save you. And he offers you this opportunity to experience this moment, this marker in your life where everything after is completely different, where you can say the same thing this blind man said, I was blind, past tense, was blind, but now, oh, I see, I see a different path forward. For those of us who are Christians, sometimes we find ourselves living in in the AD portion of our life, this after we've given our lives to Jesus, and we sort of get frustrated and And we get focused on all the things we're doing wrong and we think, man, I should be farther along. Just understand this, you're a work in progress. Every one of us is a work in progress. You're not who you were and you're not fully who God wants you to be, but you're on the path, you're on this journey, you're on this process. It's what the Bible calls sanctification. And it's a journey of God moving you to who you were, to who he wants you to be, but don't miss this. Because many of us know that, but we think that God only loves this future version of us. God loves me because he knows who I'm going to become. No, God loves you for you. He loves this version of you. If you're a parent, you fully understand this. You love the version that your kids are in. I love the phase of life that we're in with our children. They're growing, they're maturing, they're growing up, but I love the phase that they're in. I love when they were four and they were two. I love that they're nine and 12 and I'll love... Hopefully, Lord willing, when they're 16 and 18. I know, I'm just kidding. I will love them when they're that old, right? And I will love that version of them. And it's so cool to see the growth of an individual. How do you think your heavenly father feels? You've been a Christian for three months. Yeah, God loves that version of you. You've been a Christian for 50 years. Yes, God loves that version of you. And my guess is, and prayer for you, is that who you were when you first gave your life to Christ to who you are today is different. And maybe it's a little different. Maybe it's a lot different. Either way, God loves you for you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 gives the idea that we're all a work in progress. We're being transformed by beholding Jesus, being transformed into the image of looking like Jesus. What God is trying to do in my life and in yours, He's trying to grow us so that we start to live more and talk more and act like Jesus more and more. So that when people see your life, they don't just see you, they see Jesus. And sometimes they see it in glimpses, sometimes they see it in a large way. 
in those moments, just thank God that He's with you always. He's maturing you along the way. You're working pro- a process. You're moving from one image to another, looking more like Jesus. So sometimes we got to show ourselves a little bit of extra grace than we normally do. When Jesus found this blind man, He cured him of his blindness. He gave him a new story and a future. It's exactly what Jesus offers to you and I. Today, if you find yourself far from God, I promise you, He's not far from you. He's searching. Just like that blind man, Jesus is searching for you. Today, He wants nothing more than for you to be found so that you can make the same statement, I was blind, but now I see the path that God has for my life. That's His prayer and our prayer for you as well. If you're on your journey of faith and kind of worn down, you find yourself tripping up and dropping things and giving in ways that you know you shouldn't, I just want to encourage you to have a moment where you just kind of rest in the love of Christ that He has for you. And you just rest in His goodness and grace over you. You just have this moment to remind yourself that God loves you and He's loving you through that more and more into the image of Jesus. If there's something you need to share publicly or you want to pray with one of our shepherds, we'd love to do that as well. If there's any way that we can help you, please let us know as we stand and sing.